Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Candace Parker is along with us tonight. And moments ago, Kristen Ledlow. Parker, what a look inside. Kristen Ledlow is on our sideline with the terrific Candace Parker. I'm Kristen Ledlow. I'm Candace Parker. And this is Ledlow and Parker. Welcome into Ledlow and Parker. We've got a big show. I I think I say that at the start of every single week. That's a good, that's a good thing to say. Every that's a good show. Point. Yeah. We do have a big show. Yep. I'm never lying. We have <laughs> mugs. We have, we have mugs merch. now. Ledlow and Parker mugs. Yes. Merch. We got merch. But we have Coach Becky Hammond also on the line. Not just Coach Becky Hammond, but uh, someone who gave you several buckets. Oh, back she in the gave day. me a lot of buckets. <laughs> At five, five, or whatever she is, she learned. She was very crafty. You better bring that up. Yes, I'm going to. I plan on it. You took a championship away from me, Becky. So we're going to move on to. I will handle it with dignity and class. You certainly messed up a lot more than I did. I think all of us just want to leave the league better than we came into it. And that's what we said. That's what we said. We said. That's what we said. We're getting better. <laughs> week by week, we're getting better. NBA head coaches, a huge topic over the last, what, seven days around the NBA. First and foremost, a really intriguing piece from Dan Wojcicki of the LA Times about coaching and mental health. I think that I was so intrigued by it because we think so often about what coaches can produce, what it is that they can produce in the win and loss column. And while so much of the NBA seems to be centered on the health of its players, the health of its coaches can easily fall by the wayside. We heard about guys like Doc Rivers who had said that years ago he planned on even stepping down. He thought he couldn't continue because his own both physical and mental health has got, had gotten as bad as it was. So I just want to ask you, can we start to create a healthier conversation surrounding the mental health of those surrounding these players? Well, I think in, in order to change something, you first have to address it and talk about it. And I mean, it's an 82-game season at the least, not including playoffs. There's late nights, and we think as players we put in time. There's been a number of times where I've gone to a gym or an arena, and you see the coaches there well after the game, and you see the coaches there well before practice starts or shoot-around starts. In every meeting, the coaches are there discussing the game plan. I mean, there's so much time that goes into a scouting report. I remember at Tennessee, we lost a, a... you know, a game we shouldn't have lost. And so as a punishment, Coach Summit was like, you guys don't respect the scouting report, so you guys do it. And the amount of time and energy it took to put a scouting report together, I think as players, we don't respect it. And so as coaches, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of sleepless nights, you know, just in terms of the health. And you're doing this not in your 20s and 30s. You're doing this in your 50s, 60s, and sometimes even 70s. Traveling long days, long nights, away from your family. And then now the NBA has extended their season. And it's basically now the only month that nobody really is doing anything is is August. We also forget to talk about what's going on in their own lives off of the court. I've never even addressed this publicly, but I was part of TNT's broadcast of opening night in 2016. It was very public that I had gone through just days before a gunpoint robbery at my home. I think everyone saw that I showed up to work, assumed it was fine, and moved on. But what happened in the year following that was 
what only those behind the camera saw, which was that I struggled with anxiety and a depression that I still am struggling to wrap words around, that there were so few that saw what was actually happening away from the broadcast and only saw, well, she's gained a lot of weight from those depression medications without even knowing that that was what it was because of. And I think that because we've created a narrative that says that you are a product and not a person, it's in the entirety of sports. It's not just in the position that you and I are both in, you as an athlete, me as a broadcaster, but some of these head coaches as well, we forget that they're people. We forget that there's so much more going on in their lives that they could be facing apart from the pressure that they're facing when they show up to this job every day. Well, Kristen, I mean, you said it best. These people are people. And I think fans sometimes think because there's a certain amount of zeros on the back back end of the check that real people don't go through real issues Uh, and have problems. And that solves it. And yes, you know... I love my job. I love coming to work and doing this podcast. I love going out on the basketball court and playing. But when you're not right, it doesn't matter how much you try to mask and be in, in, in the game and, and, you know, show up and do what you think is right. You still at some point have to deal with it. And I think we've seen publicly a lot of people that have stepped up and acknowledged, you know, Things that have happened and, and been at the forefront. Obviously, Kevin Love being one of those people. DeMar DeRozan have, has, you know, been a huge inspiration for a lot of different people. And Ty Lue when he was Kevin and Love's Ty coach. And Ty The Lue. conversations it has to propel. Happen. It has to happen. Without a doubt. And thank you so much for sharing that because as your teammate, I was unaware <laughs> of, you know, some of those things. And I think it takes people in positions like this, talking about it and making it okay because for so long, you just don't talk about it and it just yeah. goes away, but it doesn't go away. And I think it's important that people like Doc Rivers acknowledge their struggles. And again, often the first change that's made when a franchise needs changes is the head coach. It happened this week in New York as the Knicks fired Coach Fizdale. He lasted all of 18 months there and their interim head coach, Mike Miller, not the NBA player Mike Miller is now the 13th head coach since Dolan took ownership in 1999. I am not that great at fast math, but that's not a good track record with head coaches. I think, though, that this starts with failed expectations that started before the season when the expectation in New York is perhaps we get Kevin Durant. Perhaps we get Kyrie Irving. Perhaps we get the number one pick and draft Zion Williamson and perhaps he'll be healthy. Nothing is going to measure up to those expectations. So who did you expect to take the fall? I go back to the point of you cannot change a culture of a team or of a franchise as a head coach in 18 months. It's not possible. We were at the game in Madison Square Garden during preseason, and we were able to sit in and talk with Fisdale. And he just got to this point this year where his philosophy people were buying into. And you felt that in a sense. Now, I understand Julius Randle is a phenomenal player. He had a great year last year. But them telling the fans and the supporters of the organization of the New York Knicks that they didn't want Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, that they got what they wanted is false. And then to blame Coach Fisdale for failed expectations, who created those expectations and why have you come up so short? Did we expect the New York Knicks to make the play? Can I, did we did anybody expect the New that York Knicks my question, to make the playoffs? Is to come out and say we're failing to meet expectations. Where do these expectations come from? What was your expectation when you assembled that roster? In the NBA, this is a league in which it is dominated at the guard position and night in and night out the Knicks are being dominated at the guard position and that cannot happen it we went into the season not knowing who the starting point guard on your roster is and to me that's an issue then let me ask you will a head coach be able to come in and impact the Knicks culture in a healthy way will it even matter who they hire in that coaching position 
I don't know if a coach can go in single-handedly and change an entire franchise. To me, you look at blueprints and you look at different franchises that have gone from the seller back on top. Lately, it was the Brooklyn Nets. That was the franchise that made a bad trade in getting KG and Paul Pierce, wagering their entire future on trying to hurry up and win a championship now. So how do you get out of that? Obviously, they made a couple trades. They waited until they got draft picks, and then they built up on that. And they came in, they hired an entire new front office, coaches. I just think that this isn't going to be a one-person show. And the way that you're doing things, I think you have to relinquish power. I love when owners are involved. I, I just ran into Mark Cuban, who is one of the most hands-on owners that you'll meet in the business. But guess what? He's a hands-on owner that also listens to his GM that he puts in charge, as well as his head of ops, his president, his head coach. You have to be an owner that's willing to listen and relinquish power. And when you had Phil Jackson, you did not give him full power. And in that I think it set the franchise back a number of years. It has to start from the top, and they've got to redefine now what Knicks basketball even is. In a report by The Athletic, Cavs players are upset about John Beeline running the team like a college program. They've complained about long film sessions. By what do you expect, Kristen? His, well, okay. He's a college coach. Over fundamentals, not enough Kristen, versatility on offense. He's a college coach coming from a college system. To a young Cavs team. I don't know how Rebuilding. few people understand the difference, the transition from the NCAA to the NBA being drastically different on more than one level, not just when it comes to recruiting. And here come the fundamentalists that are like, oh, basketball is basketball. And if you're a professional, if professionals, you know, treated it like college, they'd be so much better and they wouldn't have load management and all this. Listen, that's bull. <laughs> like when you become a professional, you are a professional because it is a business. And although it is a team sport, it is your individual responsibility to get better. In college, you are relying on 18 to 22-year-olds to perform. So, of course, in college, I needed a little kick in the ass to study for a test or, you know, get my hours in in study hall or life lessons, things like that. When you become a professional, all that's out the window. Yeah, and you're you learn paying that, me money to be here. You learn that very quick, <laughs> that if you don't do your job, somebody else is going to replace you and do your job better. And because of that, you don't need a college coach or a college atmosphere. Now, do I know if Beeline is treating this like a college atmosphere? No, but I do know he's five years under contract and the Cavs are looking at him to rebuild this young group. And, you know, I mean, it's a difficult situation, but Kristen, like, what did you expect? Uh, well, well, he's not going anywhere, as you mentioned. It's not just about his contract. It's because he has been entrusted to take these young players into the future, into the next generation of Cavs basketball in Cleveland. One player, though, in that report pointed out that coaching doesn't change or fix 20 and 30 point blowouts. I mean, maybe it was one of the long film sessions. That's the reason why they lost by 50. <laughs> Which, given there are things that have to be done differently. You don't run it like a college program because these guys have to go 82 games. And you've got to last all season long. Your body has to peak at a certain point in the season. Maybe not in Cleveland this season. or. Well, I mean, let me give you like a little insight into college basketball. In college basketball... It's obviously about fundamentals. Coach Summit, I can remember a million times, if we threw a behind-the-back pa pass, it was like fire would just come out of her ears. <laughs> it was like, stick to the fundamentals. I can hear it in my sleep. I can hear her screaming that. But then also off the court, like little things that you had. You had curfew, oh, without a doubt. I, and all I, that I, stuff. No, I, and, yes. here, and Kristen, here's the thing. This is what I struggled with. I remember in 2012 in the London Olympics, me getting off the bus and Coach Gino Ariema said, we don't wear headphones off the bus. And I, in my head, I was like, okay, this isn't Connecticut. But then everybody on our team, the 12 members of the USA women's basketball team, didn't wear headphones off the bus because he didn't want that to happen. But I'm looking across the hallway, Coach K doesn't do that to LeBron. So I do think that they're, like, coaches can learn. Like, if Coach K runs one of the most strict programs in Duke, can learn that you treat professionals as professionals because this is their job. This is how they feed their family. But at the same time, I mean, it's reported that he has like 
you know, named some of his system. A curl cut is called polar bear or something like that. I think that that's really funny. I'm, done I'm not going to lie. Specifically. I, I'm saying like I'd be coming <laughs> off a down screen like polar bear. Polar, like I think that would be hilarious there as an opponent. There are things that work in college that simply don't work with grown men who are being paid millions and millions of dollars to show up to these things. But Kristen, here's my question. Everybody was buying in when they started off the season very well. Like we were watching yeah. people dive on the floor and, you know, it was like, Everybody was commenting on how Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson were really buying into the thing. So my issue is not in the fact that, you know, there's an adjustment period with Coach Beeline, which we all expected with any coach coming from any position. But my take on the entire thing is exactly what Tristan Thompson said. I hope none of my teammates said that because at the end of the day, you know, if you're going to build a culture and a family, you can't have that chatty patty going on. You know, that's back to me listen i need to find out who these guys are that are allowing the media to come in our locker room because your locker room is sacred and what happens at your workplace and between your family members and your teammates should stay that way and tristan has been on cavaliers teams where the media was able to create a narrative that we saw several times ended up taking them down or out of parts of if not all of seasons so listen snitches get stitches in our book <laughs> Kristen, what we talk about over wine stays at wine. Please don't edit that out. (laughs) Well, we're talking a lot about coaching in the NBA, but also culture. So who better than to welcome in Becky Hammond, assistant coach of the San Antonio Spurs. Steps with the defense, floats one up on the right hand. How did she get that to go? Maybe one of the greatest women's basketball player ever, Becky Hammond. Look at that. What a shot. As Becky Hammond makes her debut as a full-time assistant coach for the Spurs. No, it's going to be all about the juice. Let's go. Come on, come on. You all might know our next guest as the first female full-time assistant coach in the NBA, uh, but I know her as a dynamic, shifty, sharp-shooting guard that <laughs> ended the LA Sparks season a number of times. Welcome, everybody. Becky Hammond, thank you for joining us. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I keep telling everybody. I didn't everybody, quite know where you were going to go there. Yeah, Candace. I didn't no. know where. <laughs> well, and let me say, she actually had a more <laughs> explicit description yes. for what you did to the LA Sparks, yeah. but she told it down. I toned it down. I, I, I censored it a little bit. Um, <laughs> no, honestly, I think everybody looks at you right now as, you know, the first female assistant coach in the NBA. But when I describe you, I remember facing you. And, you know, obviously you weren't the tallest player on the floor, but blocking your shot was near impossible. I remember the battles that we had against San Antonio, L.A., Western Conference Final. You put up 35 points against us in a decisive game three. I mean, can you talk a little bit about your your career getting to that point? And, you know, time and time again, people underestimated you and you continue to show them <laughs> what you were made of. <laughs> um, well, I guess probably the craftiness comes in. I just play with guys all the time. Um, I had an older brother and, uh, we would play, I mean, hour, hours and hours, two on two, three on three, whatever. Just, I lived in South Dakota. There was only so many runs going on. And so most <laughs> of it was in my front yard. Um, so I just, you know, developed, um, obviously, like you said, I'm, I'm not very tall. And so I just had to develop other parts of my game, um, which is mostly just weird, funky angles and figuring out spins on the ball to try to fool you big giants that were waiting in there for me so (laughs) well I remember being fooled a number of times by those shots but I I, I think I've probably been blocked a few times you're being very modest no but seriously (laughs) Becky uh just impressive undrafted you know went to New York then got traded to San Antonio you know I obviously have played against you in the WNBA played against you overseas as well as you played in Russia for a number of years, as well as being a part of the Olympics, what has Mm -hmm. overseas basketball, how has that helped you in what you're doing today as a coach in the NBA? Uh, Overseas, I mean, obviously I think, you know, just like the men, it's a little bit different brand of basketball over there. I think for the women, it's a little bit different brand of basketball, but learning different, all different types of ways to play the game, um, you know, according to which rules and, and, and being crafty at figuring out ways to, uh, 
you know, get the best out of your opponent or get the best out of maybe the rules that are set up. I think one great example in the NBA would be James Harden, um, you know, crafty and, and, and fooling. So I think just learning all these different ways to play um, just helps all around. But at the end of the day, I mean, if you're running a pick and roll in Moscow, you're running a pick and roll down in wherever you are, San Antonio or L.A., you know, it's kind of all the same stuff. But I think the rules and having to learn um, different paces, different systems, um, I think only just, just helps the basketball mind and helps your knowledge in the game. But you mentioned that it all started in uh, South Dakota. A Also, South Dakotan, is South Dakotan the right way to say that? Another, South Dakotan, yeah. There you go. Another South <laughs> yeah. Dakotan, the uh, former NBA player, Mike Miller. He spoke about your importance to the state. Listen to this real quick. Uh, our girls team was really good at that time. And so uh, Becky Hammond was also really good at that time. So I grew up watching them. Um, our same, my same high school coach coached the girls team. So, you know, we supported that and, uh, and she was really good. And to see what she's done, um, I'm, I'm so proud of her and, and she doesn't even really know who I am. And we've really even crossed paths personally, but you know, it's one thing when you grow up in a, a state of 700 and some thousand people, it feels like you're all, you're all close no matter what. So when I see what she's done, and what she's accomplished, not only playing, but now post, is it's exciting. And I didn't expect anything less, to be honest with you. And with so much speculation surrounding the first woman in charge in the NBA, how much has it meant to you, <laughs> Becky, to, to see the reception from these players in the NBA across the board? Honestly, first of all, I know very well who Mike Miller is. You're right. I thought the same thing. Like, that was in 2015. I assumed you would have known him by then. His, so he was from Mitchell, South Dakota, and his girls' team actually beat my team in the state, I think, semifinals my senior year. Um, but it was a heck of a game. It was an overtime game. And uh, anyways, uh, yeah, South Dakota, I mean, we do. I mean, for a state that, like he said, only has about 750 to maybe 900,000 people, um, we, we – People normally just play sports or hunt or fish or something. There's only so many things you could do there. So, um, but no, it's exciting. I mean, um, I watched. Obviously, I watched his professional career very closely because he is from South Dakota. Like, like he said, it's kind of like we're all from that same. He lived maybe five or six, five hours probably from me driving. But um, you know, we all kind of watch each other. Adam Venetari is another guy that's from my home city. Football. Um, so that we, I think anybody that makes it, I think you're always watching and pulling for that other person. Definitely. And I, I can say I was in attendance, Becky, when, when you tore your ACL against the LA Sparks mm-hmm. and, you know, some speculated that that might be it. You did come back and, and recover from that and play uh, another season. But during that time, something else happened. You were able to not go overseas and mm-hmm. you turn something that may have been a huge blow in your career into a positive, and that is you got to stay and kind of learn from Pop and be around the Spurs. Can you talk about that season and how all that uh, kind of happened? Yeah, so um, I had actually broke my finger, I think, and that was one of my first games back. It was my first game back, actually. Was We were playing at your guys' place, and uh, right when I went down, I knew, I knew what I had done because I had done it before. <laughs> and so... Uh, that that incident though, um, it's so it was it was so interesting too though because to me I you know I, my faith and everything I I just feel like nothing is by accident. I remember sitting in the L.A. airport and here I am kind of like on crutches going through and bummed obviously because I know what's about to happen the procedure because I had gone through it and um, I remember sitting at the airport and this little boy had a prosthetic leg. And it had basketballs all over it. And I was like, okay, God, I got it. <laughs> like, yeah. this is not a big deal in the scheme of things. Like, I've played so much basketball. And here's, the, here's this kid who probably will never get a chance to play uh, the way that I've been able to play. And so that incident turned into basically me sitting in on all the Spurs practices and film sessions and um, to their games. They took me on a road trip and really just getting a feel for them. And I'm, I didn't know it at the time, but they were probably getting more of a feel for me than I was of them. And, you know, after, um, coming back, you know, I, th- I thought I could have played maybe one or two more years, honestly. Um, but oh, yeah, you could have played one or two more years <laughs> uh, just as an opponent. Yes, you could have. I'll, I'll confirm that. So, but 
you know, there was a couple of things I always said when I started playing basketball professionally. It was basically like, I'm going to walk away when I can still play and contribute. Like I started at the end of the bench. Like you said, I was not drafted. I barely made the New York Liberty. And then that walk on, you know, turned into eight years. And so, um, I don't know. I just wanted to be able to still play when I walked away. And then you get a real job and you're like, dang it, I should have played more. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This job, I would imagine, is quite involved. You're now in your sixth season as an assistant coach in the NBA for good reason. A lot of people have called you a barrier breaker, but you have said several times that Coach Popovich was. Why do you consider him the barrier breaker before you? Because he's the first guy to pull the trigger. I mean, there's been many women that have been um, talented enough, knowledgeable enough, um, that that could do the job, but he, no other guy has pulled the trigger on bringing a woman on board. Um, you know, and I don't know how many women were necessarily knocking on NBA doors. I'm sure there had been some, um, but he's the first one to say, "Hey, we don't care. <laughs> she knows basketball, and we're bringing her on because she adds something to the group." Um, and you know, as you know, no, now you see. I mean, more. I mean, half the population has not been tapped for its basketball knowledge. So uh, I, I just think he's the, he's the guy that made this all possible, him and RC. And, you know, and it wasn't a, oh, this is a cool idea. I mean, they had been watching me and observing me for eight years in San Antonio, mm. you know. And, you know, I talk about there's no, there's no coincidences in life. You know, had I not played for Russia, I, my first encounter with Pop was on a plane back from the London Olympics. Wow. What was, so, that, what was that encounter like? Well, he, we obviously knew who each other was um, because, you know, I know he would send uh, Coach Hughes some texts and be like, you know, had watched the game or tell Becky this or whatever. And so I would get messages here and there from him. Um, and then we're getting on the plane from London going back to uh, San Antonio. And uh, I end up sitting by him and we just talked the whole time. He's a Soviet studies major from Air Force. Like, you just can't make this stuff up. So we talked. <laughs> We talked about Russian life, and Candace knows all about that, too, and the stories. and so It's just fun. Um, but we sat there, and we, we honestly didn't talk much basketball. We talked about life and just stuff. <laughs> and, and obviously, you know, from the outsider looking in, just on the San Antonio Spurs, and Pop does make it about life, and he makes it about relationships, and he makes it about more than just basketball. Can you speak mm-hmm. about the culture in San Antonio and just how it's about more than just sports and how he really prepares his team to, to go through life after basketball. Yeah. Well, I think, um, there's, you know, there's constant lessons that everybody can learn throughout the course of a a season, a week, a day. And I think just that openness, he's very worldly. He understands that it's a bigger world that, you know, us, losing however many games or however many games in a row, like, yeah, it stinks and this, but perspective and giving the guys a perspective of just almost an identity piece. Like, yeah, this is what you do, but it's not who you are. Um, and speak into the lives of these guys and try to sit down and understand where they're coming from, uh, what they've been through, uh, the experiences that they've had when, you know, even myself, like, there's, there's only so many things that I can really truly relate with because I didn't, I grew up differently. I didn't grow I, you know, I mean, so the experiences, but to sit down and talk, you know, whether it be over dinner or a glass of wine or, um, post-practice, you know, and, and get to know each other's stories and experiences. And I think those are the real life lessons is that, um, the relationships that you build, um, that's ultimately how you begin to trust each other. Um, is that you take the time to sit down and talk to each other. Because you were the first and the only in your position for several seasons, is there a level of pressure you feel to, to be a head coach in the NBA? I mean, yeah, I would be, of course there's, there's some pressure, but honestly, I try not, I try to just be about my work, be about the business at hand, um, try not to get too far ahead of myself and just do my work and know that at the end of the day, like my chance will come. Um, and my opportunity will come, but if I sit down and be like, like I said, again, it is just basketball too. And it's, you know, women are doing so many amazing things around the world, whether it's leading a a surgical team that you're saving someone's life or, 
you know, there's just so many big jobs that women are doing right now, and sports has kind of been the last holdout um, that hasn't allowed women to come in come into play. Uh, so for me, I try to just be about my work, and the best thing I can do for the next little girl coming up is do the best that I can and make sure that that opportunity is there for her when she's older. And to add to that, Becky, I remember us sitting down and talking and we are coming up with the dumbest questions that people have asked us <laughs> as women athletes and as coaches. And one of the things that I remember you saying is people ask you, so what's it like in the locker room? And your response mm-hmm. was simply, but you don't ask the many WNBA male coaches what happens in the locker room. Have right. you seen a change in the way people are thinking about women within the sport? Because there are a number of women that are now assistant coaches and have different roles in the WB or in the NBA. Yeah. And I, I think honestly, Candace, it's just about reversing the conversation a little bit. Like you said, it's like, you know, is, is anybody sitting there and saying Gino Ariema, like you walk into the, what's it like being in the women's locker room? Well, he's not in there at certain times. None of the coaches are, you know, that as a player, that locker room is a sacred ground and you know exactly when your coach is coming in, whether it be 32 on the clock or whatever it might be. And there's no coaches going in there. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's really a non-starter. I think when you flip the conversation, then people are like, oh yeah, that is kind of a dumb question. (laughs) (laughs) Did you you learn any of that? that? I have not been asked that in a really long time. So it's good. We're making progress. Well, did you learn any of that from pop switching the question and making, (laughs) making people (laughs) think about what they're, yeah, think about what the question question, they're asking. Which ultimately just makes the, question asker feel well less kristen than intelligent yeah, yeah kristen kristen knows a little bit about that in there i've been there <laughs> yeah well i mean just consider walking in someone else's shoes that looks differently than you maybe believes differently than you and try to see it from somebody else's perspective and i think that would help us out everybody um if, if we could do that a little bit more often with each other how much did you think about at the time when you were hired, what this would do for women in the NBA space and for little girls who are growing up playing basketball who didn't used to have someone like you to look up to? Oh, man. You, so what's so funny is that uh, <laughs> when I did not think it was going to be as big a deal as it ended up being, honestly, like we had, you know, Tom James and everybody knows Tom James, the PR guy for the Spurs. We were kind of like, you know, we'll just do some local media and then, you know, I, I was still in my season um, at that point when they made the announcement. So, uh, you know, I just said, you know, we'll do these and then I'll be back in my season, no problem. And then once we made the announcement and then how it just went crazy there for a while, um, obviously we had to <laughs> get a different game plan and a different approach um, because I don't think any of us realized uh, the impact that it would have you know, across the country. Um, but the fact that it has said, have such great impact and the fact that I have people now that like, I don't wouldn't necessarily maybe be Spurs or basketball fans come up and be like, you know, that they just think it's so cool what I'm doing because across the board, it opens up doors for females in, in all, um, arenas of work. I think all employment. Um, cause like I said, this is kind of like the sports world has been, uh, very chauvinistic in a lot of ways. And um, the fact, you know, when you're talking about pay opportunity and thank God for title nine, you know, because somebody came before me to get me to this spot. And so it's all just about building on the shoulders of the people that came before you. And so hopefully, you know, I want, I want to be a a strong, a strong shoulder for the next one. Well, you know, Becky, Kristen and I can, can, can feel what you're saying a little bit, just being in sports. And we talk about this all the time. I have no issue with with people talking about uh, individuals not knowing something like if you don't like our podcast, don't like our podcast, not because we're two women speaking about sports. And, you know, I yell until I'm blue in the face with coaches that were individual fans that are saying, you know, she's never played in the NBA. Well, well, neither have has Spolstra. There's a number of coaches in the NBA that have not played basketball. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that, that that's a battle that we fight you know, time and time again. But one thing that I noticed, and I've been there when you're coaching in Vegas, and I've been able to attend some games and watch the way, and obviously this year when Pop got thrown out, you and Tim Duncan were co-coaches and and finished that game off. 
I've noticed the amount of respect, and I think Kristen can can agree with this, the mm-hmm. amount of respect that we have from our peers within the individual media circuit or individual basketball. So can you talk about a little bit about the players and your interactions with them and from day one till now, the amount of respect yeah. that it seems that they have showed you? No, and so I'm so glad you brought this up because they have been the best advocates. They have been so supportive um, from day one. I'm telling you, like, even when we're playing other teams, it could be uh, LeBron or Chris Paul or just so many people. Like, I'm so happy that they hired you in that position. And um, the players have been, honestly, on board the whole time. Um, Obviously, the players that we had in San Antonio, I have a closer relationship with them, but they've been – I mean, just really great eye contact, very respectful. Um, I don't know. It, it, the, the guys have been great, though. It's other people <laughs> that have had issues, honestly. Um, I can't think of one guy where um, – and, you know, that's not to say there's not things that come up. I mean, but I think you look people in the eye, you tell them the truth, and you're honest with each other. And the way you go about talking to someone, um, you can either ruffle some feathers or lay some feathers down. So I think the approach – um, has to be correct, but the guys have been phenomenal. And you're right. Um, they respect the game more than the average Joe, which is funny to me because you go down to the YMCA, oh, I could be you or I could take you, whatever, whatever they say. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We've all times. heard it. Like oh, walking through the airport. Like, yeah, yeah, oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah. 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 You couldn't. Yeah, like, okay. yeah. Great line, dude. I've never yeah, heard like, that I'm one. so ready to lace it up and face you. <laughs> and then, I'm so ready to play you, to prove to myself yeah. I can beat you. That's, that's oh my goodness, yeah. yes. We've heard it but, all before. But yeah, LeBron, Kobe, all these guys will come and watch, and, and they do watch, and they do support um, our game. So it's, it's just funny to me, and I think at the end of the day, people don't want to give credit to my basketball career just because they don't. That puts me then ahead of them. So I'll just disregard that because it wasn't the NBA. It's like, oh, but I haven't run a gazillion, jillion pick and rolls, have I? No? Okay. Well, yeah, I have. So I think that nobody would be doing anything or saying anything if I had a 16-year NBA career. But the fact that it was WNBA career and they don't really support that or they don't really watch that or they don't like that brand of basketball, all of a sudden, you know, it makes me ineligible and I immediately uh, have to go to the back of the line. And I'm just thankful that Pop did appreciate my playing career and appreciate how that fine tuned and how I learned the game and how I was taught the game um, from hundreds of film sessions and hundreds of games and hundreds of different opportunities and, and situations on the court. So it's just ridiculous when people really want to start saying that stuff. It's just, you, just say you don't want a woman there. Well, just as an that, opponent, that's more yeah. well, listen, as an opponent, I, that's one of the reasons why the intro was the way it was because I do respect your game as an opponent. We, you were on the scouting report. It was Becky Hammond in every single yeah. screen and roll. We had to stop her, but I appreciate you, you know, acknowledging that because it is a fight that we're fighting and you're helping lead the, lead the cause. Yeah. And the guys, the guys have been great. So before we let you go, we want to play a little game with you. This is inspired by the one word answers that coach Popovich has been known to give. Well, people like me on the sidelines, this is called <laughs> one word superlatives with the Spurs. So I'm just going to give you a name oh boy. and you oh tell boy. us okay. the, the first word that comes to mind. Sound good. I don't know if this is a safe game. <laughs> <laughs> We can edit it. I mean, you know, don't worry. We've got your back here. Okay. 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 <laughs> All right. We'll start easy then. Coach Pop. Wine. Oh, exactly. Vino. I was yes. about to say. That's, oh, man. That's the legacy he has a I nice hope spot to in, as well. He has a nice spot in San Antonio that's got some <laughs> great wine. Becky took us to. Uh, Tim, Tim Duncan. Sarcastic. Ooh. I didn't know. I was going to go with fundamental. Or sarcastic, sarcastic went out. Yeah, yeah sarcastic's like better because not everybody knows that they know the He's big fundamental. fundamental. But the, the, see, that's the kind of stuff that we can only get from you. How about Manu? Amazing. Oh, oh that's great. That's a good one. How about Lamarcus Aldrich? I want to say red. He always wears red. <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs> yeah. That's I've it's, noticed. It's, it's kind of weird, but he always <laughs> does. He do it on purpose, or is this like his favorite it's color? Like black, or? It's like black, white, maybe some gray, but like for colors, it's oh, never like red. Okay. It's never blue. It's like never yellow. He's found his color. Like, it's always red. 
Okay. So I'll just say red. Red. What about DeMar DeRozan? Sweet. Aww. Oh, I love DeMar. Patty Mills? Mala. Oh, yes. I love that. And the last one for you, Becky Hammond. Oh, man. He- head, I, future head coach? Head, head, yeah. Future head coach? Could that be? That could be in the, uh, in the works. It's going to happen. Mean, yeah, but there's so many, like, I'm going to say purpose. Mm. Like, I don't know, because I feel like all this is, like, part of my purpose. I like that. Part of it. Not the complete thing, but. Yeah. I like that a lot, Becky. It so speaks, good. speaks volumes to who you are as an individual, as a player, and then now in your next phase is coaching. So, thank you, ladies. Becky, I thank really you. wish we could have met up and had like a glass. We of wine will. In the studio. We, we will. That oh, we oh, will. No. We have cups now, by the way. Just so you know, so yeah. we're official. <laughs> we'll we'll get wine glasses by the time you come back. We'll okay? be ready for the next time. But uh, thank you so much for taking the time, and thank you for carrying the weight of your responsibility with as much grace as you have, because it's changing the game for a lot of us watching. It really is. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. And I I feel all the support and all the love and believe me, it takes me, you need those, you need those people in your life. And uh, luckily I have some ones close to me and I have some near and far and everything in between. So I appreciate it. And it's going to take all of us honestly to get it all done. We appreciate you. My favorite segment, the lead lowdown. Mm, this week, too. you were at the Mavs Pelicans <laughs> game, covering the game. Not particularly exciting, but. I mean, it was supposed to be a Zion game. It was so, supposed to be. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up because every single time I've worked now on a Pelicans game since the start of preseason, when you and I were there together in New York, I think what's been most important is to try to give the fans some sort of update on where he is. Some sort of hope. How That's what just say it, going. hope. Some sort of hope. Okay. As to when we're going to see this once-in-a-generation player like Zion Williamson make his rookie debut. But I was told prior to the game that he turned a corner that week, that he was out of that heavy rehabbing for an injury phase and more into strength and conditioning now. I was also told that there's a list of about 11 things that he's going to have to check off before he's cleared and able to return to the court to play. He's already returned to the court in practice in some capacity. Nothing's at game speed. He's just going through walkthroughs with his team. But the reality is, and Alvin Gentry pointed this out to our broadcast team before the game, he can't just come back and make a so-so rookie debut. The expectations for this guy are astronomical. So my question to you, Candace, because I know that the Pelicans don't want us speculating as to how serious the injury still may be or how long he may be gone, but I was told it's definitely outside of the initially projected six to eight week window. At what point do you say, get healthy, shut it down, let's make this exciting debut at some point, either later this season or even next. I would take the Ben Simmons approach as Ben Simmons could have come back during his rookie campaign, during that rookie year, the first year. Yeah, the first rookie The first season. rookie yes, season. Right. He could have come back. And honestly, it was probably for the best that he didn't because there are expectations of the way somebody plays. And do you know how much of an advantage it was? I redshirted my first my freshman year at Tennessee because of a knee injury and how much better you are. You are preparing and around the team and able to lift and eat and get in shape and get right. And this kid is going to have a long career if he stays healthy. He's going to have a long and successful career. The way that he plays, this is what I talk about with injuries. Sometimes people look at the individual injury I look at the way the person plays, and then you can determine how big the injury is. Not just the injury, but the individual. Exactly. And the way that he flies, the amount of landing and the pounding on his knee, his knee has to be better than 100%. Better than a normal person with the amount of force and twerk he puts on his knee on a daily basis. And so I just want to see the kid be healthy. If we have to wait a couple more weeks or a couple more months or a year even to see him out on the court... I want to see him have a successful career and it not be hindered by injuries. At what point then, in regards to expectations, do you say, maybe we do shut this down for weeks or for months or until next year, considering that if he came back now, 
he's not in the rookie of the year race. That team is not likely in the Western Conference playoff race. And all of those are expectations for Zion at this point. It just seems to me as a player, you want to win rookie of the year. But Zion has surprised me just in the way that he acts. It's always team first. He just seems like a good kid and somebody that just wants to to play basketball. And it wouldn't surprise me if he wanted to come back. And, and oh, play. no, I, I know with beyond the shadow exactly. of a doubt that he does. It Coach Gentry told us before exactly. the game that he is dying to get back out there. He said that now he's actually looking at some of these losses and pointing out to the coaching staff. That's where I would have helped us win. I mean, Zion, you would help the entire game. Well, it's yeah, not like individual but, yeah, but, points. <laughs> of, you raise the value of every player on that roster because they're on that roster because you will make them better. Yeah. But I love him. And that's the thing. You you really want to see a player like him be successful. And selfishly, we all want to see him out on the court. Right. But selfishly, I want to see him have a successful career. Without a doubt. And that's why the Pelicans are playing this the way they are, which is, and I quote, far more than cautious. Well, somebody <laughs> that has had seven knee surgeries, yeah. wait until you're ready to come back out on the court because... As soon as you might not be as great or something like that and you rush back, the fans are just as quick to turn on you. So just know that it's better to be healthy and be out there 100%. In this segment, NBA stands for No Basketball Allowed. You couldn't have been on social media all week long without seeing it. Spotify wrapping up. It's not only 2019, but the entirety of the last decade with people posting the artists and the songs that they listen to all year long, all decade long. So not only did we get a chance to see that, but we also got a chance to see the most listened to artists, the most listened to songs. Well, everybody already knows that I am the biggest. And if you don't know, now you know. I'm the biggest Jay-Z fan that she there is. is. And she so is. I'm going to I'm going to take it a step farther, Kristen. Mm-hmm. As a broadcaster, I hope, but also as a basketball player, I see my alter ego, my Ooh. Yes. Tell me why. My you're ego the, you're the as Jay-Z. Jay-Z. That's you're what the I see. Jay-Z. Tell me Just why. because I think back in the day what he was doing, people weren't doing, and it was looked at as, okay, you you want to be a businessman and a rapper, and those things didn't mix. And I think, you know, he was versatile in everything, on the court, off the court, in the studio, out of the studio, and I definitely think he freestyles without writing anything down, and I think, you know, that's what I hope my game has been, so... Yes, Jay Z. Hope. What about you? Yeah, I'm more of a Taylor Swift. <laughs> you went to opposite ways. I love it. She's not only, of course, the artist I listen to most often this decade, but she's a sweetheart, and she's also not afraid to name names. I like that, Kristen. Why not? Right. So, Kristen Taylor Swift Ledlow. <laughs> yes. We're gonna have to change the Ledlow Down segment to, to the- like Swift. Swift. Something. Uh, well, uh, yeah. Next we'll week. come up with it. Next episode. <laughs> so, what are your favorite artists? And of those artists of the last decade, who would you pair them with in the NBA game? Ooh. Whose game reminds you of certain artists? Huh. Well, since I called myself the Taylor Swift of our program, let's go with Ed Sheeran. He's also one of the most highly streamed artists of the last decade, and certainly in 2019. I'd compare him to Giannis, busted onto the scene, an international player, but now selling out arenas and stadiums worldwide. I like that. Right? I like that. I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm going to go Snoop. (laughs) Okay? And we're talking on and off the court, okay? Yes. Yes. I'm going to just go with J.R. Smith. I I last. I think of the last decade, J.R. Smith has been... The Snoop of the NBA. I mean, think about yes. it. They won the championship in 2016. He didn't wear a shirt for, I think, three or four days. Weeks. He didn't put Weeks. a shirt. He yes. did not put a shirt on. <laughs> he gets buckets on the court. You know, yeah. he remixes with different teams. Snoop has a song with everybody. Yeah. J.R. Smith. I just think that he is the Snoop of the NBA. How about Post Malone? Because Post Malone was the most highly streamed artist of 2019. I'm thinking because of his vibe, because he's entirely himself, because he goes hard. But you also feel like that's a guy I could chill with. I'm giving it to Russell Westbrook. I like that. I like that. I think Russ is the Post Malone of 
of the NBA. I like that. Yeah, I do. If we were, though, to name, if you're the Jay-Z of not only the WNBA, but the broadcasting world as well, the Jay-Z of the NBA, I mean, that's got to be LeBron, right? I think it's got to be LeBron. It has to be. But like, does that mean Anthony Davis is Beyonce or is that too far? (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Um, Yeah, I I think LeBron is definitely the Jay-Z of things. I mean, he came out of high school, has really hit the ground running in in this decade. I mean, he solidified himself as the greatest, if not one of the great, one of the greatest, if not the greatest. So much to more play. than an artist. So, so much more than an he athlete. Does so many things off the court. He's always thinking about his next move. I mean, moved out to LA because it was best for him and his family and post basketball. And he always stresses that it's important to be more than an athlete. And I think he embodies that more than anybody. Now, my my question is, Jersey had a great decade. All right, last one then, Drake. Yep. All right. Drake. This is tough because you got to have championships if you're if you're Drake. No, the Drake of the NBA is Drake. He was on the court during the NBA finals as much as any one of the Toronto Raptors were. Kristen, but he has to have an NBA ego. He has to. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go out on the limb. All right. And I'm going to say D Wade is Drake. Oh, do you like that? You know why? Because he dropped a mixtape without an album. In 06, when he won the championship with Shaq. Okay. All right. Do you see where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. Then came back. He's collabed with a lot of different people that have been, you know, great rappers. Yeah, yeah, and great, mainstream. I mean, you know, mainstream. Transcends genre. Yeah, transcends everything. You know, I like that. And he's like, does other things. Like, he likes yeah. socks and fashion. And, you know, he's got Gabrielle Union as his wife. I mean, he's good with the ladies. I think that's Jersey. <laughs> Jersey was singing to the ladies before other people were singing to the ladies. That is a great point yes. by you. And so I think D-Wade is the Drake of our of, of this decade. I think, though, if Drake continues his antics on the sidelines, he will ultimately be the Drake of the NBA sooner than later. Somebody's going to put him in a uniform. That's true. That's all the time we have for this episode. But a huge thanks to Becky Hammond for joining us. Phenomenal basketball player. I wish her so much success in her coaching career. I mean, the sky's the limit for her. Undoubtedly. And next week, we're back with an all-new Leatherland Parker. Make sure to follow NBA on TNT for more from the show.